and welcome to One Great History. Um, I'm Alex. I'm Sabrina. And we're here with our friend and producer, Nick. How's it going? It's going good. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it's the new year. Yeah, it's a different year now. It is. Um, yeah, and we've got a nice light episode today, which I feel like is good because it's been like a bit of a weird time. It's been an extremely <laughs> weird time. I've been secondhand pepper sprayed for the second time. <laughs> You're and the only person I know to be pepper sprayed, so it's amazing it's happened to you twice. And had to move as a result. Yay! So that's been my life, but I put together a podcast episode anyway. <laughs> I'm proud of you for doing it. Thank you. Um, yeah, so nice light episode. We're going to be talking about Assiniboine Park, and especially focusing on the zoo. Yay! I'm a big nice. zoo fan. I don't know about you. I like going. Yeah. I try and go once a year or so. I'm a zoo member. Really? I, I used to yeah. be a Zoo member when I was a kid, and then we stopped going as frequently. Uh, my boyfriend and I have, like, a couple's membership, oh, that's so cute. we just, like, go for walks and whatever. Yeah. It's really nice. Um, I was married at a Sinboyne Park. No, were you? Yeah. Oh, Which, at the, like, garden thing? Or? At the, like, at the pavilion? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah. It was, like, you know, it had, like, there's like, the little, like, the pond and the yeah. garden thing, and then the terrace, and... Yeah, had like the ceremony there and drinks outside and then went into the restaurant. I think we were the last people to get married at that restaurant. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Because uh, it's been shut down and renovated for a few years. But Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything in there now. Hey? Uh, there should be. My cousins got married there like three years ago. Okay. Okay. So then we were the last one before a break. Yeah, yeah it's been yeah. open and closed. <laughs> there's been a few different things there of varying degrees of yeah. fanciness. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. This is one of those episodes where one source in particular was helpful to me. So I just want to mention it by name. Um, David Spector wrote a book called Assiniboine Park, Designing and Developing a People's Playground. Um, it's kind of like a coffee table book yeah. with like nice pictures in it and everything. So if you want to learn more about Assiniboine Park and you don't want to read city reports from the 70s. What? That's, <laughs> that's the book you should go to. Is that not what everyone else does for leisure? <laughs> they don't spend their days in the local history reference room. <laughs> Crazy. I actually did for this episode have to... The local history reference room isn't really open right now. Yeah. I had to go and convince someone to go and sit in there with me so that I could do <laughs> research. He was super nice, but kept telling me like, okay, you have like one hour and then my shift is done. So you have to be like... It's a race against the clock. Yeah. It was me just hurriedly photographing sources. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. Um, but I want to do start out by doing my favorite thing, which is where I give us a great big history of the topic that we're talking about. Okay. Um, cause zoos and parks both have really interesting histories. Oh yeah. Um, that kind of go hand in hand with urbanization and with the industrial revolution as well. Mm -hmm. Um, because the idea of zoos and parks is like a little bit weird, right? Yeah. Like the idea that we make and designate specific places to go look at nature yeah right because like once upon a time if you wanted to see a tree they you'd, were just they were just, you just all went over. outside to your tree <laughs> yeah and if you wanted to see a wolf you like you probably didn't want to see a wolf actually <laughs> you probably weren't seeking them out that would be a strange thing to do yeah or you, you wouldn't be seeking them out for too long i would like to see a wolf in the wild where it can access me <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is the important part of the zoos is that we access the animals and not the other way around <laughs> Um, yeah, but they have existed in one form or another for a long time. So in ancient times, zoos were mainly the private domain of extremely wealthy people. Yeah, that's right. right. Like yeah. menageries, basically. Yeah. 
So often um, explorers might bring back yeah. kind of animals um, for like a ruler as symbols of conquest yeah. and exploration. Um, but one of the first menageries that we know of in the West was kept by Montezuma II, the Aztec emperor. Oh, yeah, which is kind of cool. So that would have been in what is now downtown Mexico City. Okay. Um, according to Spanish accounts, there were some 300 keepers working at that zoo to care for the animals. How many animals were there? We, so we don't know for sure. Um, a ton. We also don't know for sure what kinds, mainly because the Spanish who landed there didn't know what most of them were. Oh, so we're so, going off of like weird explorer concepts yes. of the animals? Like from drawings, we can yeah. kind of guess. Is this like when a bunch of like French people came and encountered skunks in Canada for the first time and were like, what are these smelly things? <laughs> yes, exactly yeah. that. Huh. Yeah, so basically we know that it was a huge array of like reptiles, big cats, monkeys, and snakes. We kind of know the broad categories, yeah. but that's about it. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, it was destroyed by Spanish conquest in 1520. What wasn't? <sighs> yeah, good, good question, right? Um, but in terms of like our modern concept of a zoo, during the Enlightenment, zoos kind of became part of the drive towards like a scientific understanding of the world. Uh, yes. And so I kind of think of the Enlightenment as this period of like almost an obsession with like categorizing things. Oh, yeah. It's all about reason and like making lists. Yes. And, yeah. Like the idea that like, oh, if I have looked at this animal... And designated a species and a subspecies for it. Surely now I understand it. I am enlightened. Yes, I am enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those are kind of the next step in zoos. But the first sort of modern zoo, um, and what I mean by that is one that is like open to the public and intended for the public, is created in 1793 in France. Oh. So pop quiz for you. Do yeah. you know what was happening in 1793 in France? Was it not one of the revolutions? Yes. This was the, <laughs> the big one. Okay. The big revolution. Yes. I feel like at any moment in the 1700s, you can be like, what was going on in France? A revolution. Yeah. And, and in the 1800s yeah. kind of as well. Um. So 1793 is actually the year that Marie Antoinette is executed. Oh. So what happens is that... So the two big things in France are they kill the queen, they get a zoo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they're related, actually. Oh, okay. Because the royals <laughs> left behind a menagerie. Ah. So the palace at Versailles had been abandoned, and yeah. so the menagerie left behind needed to be cared for. But then yeah. also, the revolutionary government in France, I mean, they, like, they did all kinds of weird things. Yeah. Um, but Do you remember I had that phone game for a little bit where you, it was like a dress up game, but you got to play a <laughs> yes. girl in different stories and it seems so gimmicky and weird that I had to try it out because one of the stories was the French Revolution yes. and you can play Marie Antoinette as she tries to like convince people democracy is good. And like flirt with Lafayette. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really weird game. <laughs> what was that called? I don't even remember. Okay. Well... So people can't go and search for it and play it, unfortunately. It's not worth it. You could also do Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and wasn't there, like, an Aladdin one as well? Yes. It was yeah. all very weird. Anyway, I don't... This has taken up my brain with the French Revolution now, unfortunately. <laughs> um, Slightly behind a menagerie. Yes. Yeah. So the revolutionary government decreed that exotic animals were to be transferred from private hands to the scientists at the Jardin des Plantes, which was, like... Uh, botanical gardens that okay. already existed. Now, the idea may not have originally been to keep them alive. Oh, so kind of like a like, like m museum display of uh, like yes, taxidermied yes. animals. But that's what the scientists decided to do. They decided to keep them alive and feed them and put them in cages. And so that was the first 
kind of modern zoo, which hmm. was accessible to the public and I think still exists today, which is pretty neat. Oh, interesting. Though I'm sure it looks very different than it did, or I hope it does. <laughs> the same animals are still there. <laughs> the oldest hippo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so early zoos were a lot more like museums than they were like habitats. Um, and over time, the focus of zoos has shifted from kind of that scientific understanding to, in the 20th century, more like simple entertainment. Yeah. And then more recently to conservation and education. Yeah. Which is, um, yeah, with a much greater focus on animal welfare. Which is kind of what we'll see throughout the story today. Yeah, because I feel like when you look at a picture of like a New York Zoo circa 1910. It's rough. It's the saddest thing you've ever seen. Totally, yes. It's like one lion in a concrete pit. Yeah. And just some kids (laughs) pointing and laughing at it. Yeah, bear pits are going to come up a couple times today and those are just the saddest thing. Yeah, old zoos are not great. No. Can I tell you about the world's oldest hippo? Yes. Please. (laughs) Well, I'm just, there's a few options. There's the oldest one for a while was Lou, short for Lucifer. Um who was uh, 60, Oh, was born in the San Diego Zoo uh, and lived there its whole life. Uh, but it seems in 2017, there was one named Bertha, who was in wow. a Manila Zoo, uh, who died at 65. Maybe that one's in Manila and the oldest one in America was uh, uh, 60. That is, that is older than I would have expected, I have to say. Yeah. Bertha's there, a good name Bertha's for a hippo. Like, I was going to say it's a great hippo name. <laughs> I actually really love hippos. I'm very happy to hear they live into They're their They're such 60s. scary animals, though. People keep saying that. Alex, they're big and they kill people. Yeah, sure they do. <laughs> Thailand's oldest one was named May Mali and was 55. Wow. Wow, there's a long list of old hippos. <laughs> this episode is now a list of old hippos. <laughs> Sorry to sidetrack you. No, that's no I'm, I'm happy to it. know about Bertha. <laughs> Queen Bertha, apparently. <laughs> Um, but anyway. yeah, so, um, and then parks as well have an interesting yeah. history. So they come about because as cities are built up and expand, people realize that like seeing a tree is nice sometimes. What a radical concept. Yeah. Also, we're remembering always that early 20th century zoos are, gro- or not zoos, early 20th century cities are gross. Yeah, definitely. I feel like nature would be a real treat after you're walking somewhere. Yeah. It's like, well, there's a, you know, like a bunch of dead horses over there. <laughs> the you streets like, are muddy. You extra want to look at a tree. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we talked about this quite a bit in our Winnipeg Beach episode, that there's, like, an idea, especially around the Victorian era and kind of into the early 20th century, that there's just, like, something about being in a natural landscape that is, like, good for you and healthful. Mm -hmm. Um, and can even, like, make you well if you're ill. Yeah. Um, and so parks during this period had, like, a particular form. They were usually large, um, usually on the edge of a city, and they were meant to be pastoral. Yes. Yeah, so there's actually, what's interesting is there's very little attempt to actually maintain nature in these spaces, like, in in the sense of, like, how it would look if you left it alone. Yeah. Right? Like, it's meant to be these kind of, like, fields with a few trees and some flowers. Like, it's nature, but sort of toned down for the middle classes. Yeah, and probably more what you'd see if you were, like, in England in the countryside. Totally, yes. Yeah. So there's not actually a ton of, like, North American parks that are... I mean, like national parks, yes. Yeah. But these kind of like urban parks are usually not. Not a lot of nature. Urban reserves. tall grass prairies? No, no. That's a much more recent thing that we're like, <laughs> hey, maybe we should not destroy all of the tall grass prairies. <laughs> yeah. So actual nature is scary. We want to look at a field and a tree. We want to look at nature in a controlled environment. Yeah. 
no like genuinely people at this time are like oh it's like overstimulating if it's too much it's too green yes and then we have to go back and look at like the brown <laughs> sludge yeah i mean to be fair it would be hard to walk around just like natural like riverbank in this area yeah like if you ever see a little bit of riverbank that hasn't been cared for it's full of brush and stuff yeah be hard to just walk through um the thing, though, is that these parks are often difficult for the working class to access, so we do begin to see smaller urban parks over yeah. time as well. Um, and this building up of parks also goes along with the desire to beautify cities. Mm -hmm. There's this, like, the city beautiful movement yeah. or whatever. Um, though I feel like that is often less than successful and yeah. maybe less successful than, like, the parks movement. Mm -hmm. But if we think about, like, the Chicago World's Fair... With, yeah. like, these, like, gleaming white structures. That's kind of the ideal. So, like, often those structures are put in parks as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's very much the story of Winnipeg's park system. So, getting into Winnipeg specifically, in 1903, a parks board is created. Woohoo! And I'm not going to talk about the history of that because it's boring, but you can go read more about it if you want. <laughs> I actually know a little bit about, like, the early parks. A couple of them were formed in, like, the 1880s. Yeah. There are some really early parks in, like, downtown Winnipeg where, like, Chibo is on Waterfront oh, Drive. Cool. That's one of the city's first parks. Yeah. And then there's one in Osborne Village. Yeah. That used to be Assiniboine Park. Ah. Assiniboine Park was initially City Park. So, yeah, we're, yeah. we'll talk yeah. more about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stealing the episode from You're you now. It's a hostile takeover. <laughs> Sabrina is being kicked out of the recording studio. <laughs> Get out of my basement. Yeah. In the spirit of the French Revolution, I'm taking over this podcast. And I'm taking over her menagerie as well. I'm going to take your, your two cats your that hate people. Your two monster cats. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so there are... Yeah. They create an actual parks yeah. board to kind of be dealing with that generally, I guess, in 1903. And their first task is to create a big urban or suburban, I think, yeah. park. Um, so in July of 1903, there's a referendum on whether or not the city should raise $50,000 through taxes for a park. Why? It's always $50,000 when they're doing referendums. It's I feel like I come up against that a lot where it's like, do we spend 50000 everyone's like, no. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, that's quite a bit actually, because like yeah. how much how much was City Hall to build? I mean, that was a few years earlier, but they also had to vote about around fifty to a hundred thousand, I think. Okay, so like yeah. the reason I'm saying this happens a lot is I feel like fifty seems to be the city's go to for a little bit. Right. So maybe they're not actually budgeting, they're just like, I don't know, that's how much expensive things cost. We think that's how much a park costs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so an article in the Tribune the day before the vote outlines the following promises for this eventual park. Ooh. 600 acres on the water, ample recreational grounds, a botanical garden, and probably a museum or range of animals. And they promise that, in fact, in time, the park will be made an Eden. Do you know roughly when the word zoo came up? Because I, or was like used? Because I feel like a range of animals is kind of a strange mm. way to refer to that. That's a good question. It does seem to come up early, but it... They often use, like, zoological gardens, uh, even into, like, the 60s and 70s. Okay. I don't know. It seems to be more recent that we're okay. just saying zoo. Yeah, saying, we're going to have a range of animals is a strange way to say yes. we're going to put a zoo in place. <laughs> and you can see, too, in the terminology that it was thought of as more of, like, a museum, but of living creatures, yeah. right? They often say, like, yeah, a, yeah a museum or whatever. Um, it also was promised that it would have both rail and water connections. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We're going to talk about whether or not that happened. <laughs> oh, no. Um, now, 
an open letter in the Tribune from H. Sanderson, who's the chairman of the Parks Board, kind of throughout yeah. this process, uh, really sells the idea of a publicly owned park. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the big selling point here, where Winnipeggers can take park in re- part in recreation without paying for it. Ah, yes. Um, and also where, in his words, the civic authorities will be responsible for its proper conduct and regulation from a moral standpoint. Hmm. So... Interesting. No hanky-panky in this here park. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there are a lot of good reasons to build a park, but one of them was to give a home to Winnipeg's buffalo herd. Right, yes. Yeah, so I'd actually really love to do a full episode on our bison herd at some point. Actually, weirdly, the next episode I'm working on outside of our Valentine's Day one involves the start of Winnipeg's (gasps) buffalo herd, because it's James McKay's buffalo herd. Yes. So we're going to get to the start of it. And I, okay. Maybe over the course of several episodes, we'll sort of cobble together the <laughs> buffalo thing incidentally. It's going to be the overarching theme of the podcast is our bison herd. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's important for us to know today is just that Winnipeg had at one point a fairly sizable herd of bison. Yeah. Most of which were moved to Banff National Park yeah. where they could just have more space. Um, having, you know bison roaming in the city is not (laughs) ideal no and definitely not they're huge yes and they need a lot of space um but five had been left behind at the request of the city and through breeding it numbered 13 by the time the park was actually built um now amazingly this referendum passes yay this is this is not one in the story of no we let's not do this thing for fifty thousand dollars i'm proud of us (laughs) yeah um and also what's surprising is only property owners who had over $400 worth of property could vote on this. So it's also like the middle and upper classes who are voting on this. But I guess they're the ones who are probably going to be going to this park, right? Yes. And so David Spector in his book also points out that before the invention of air conditioning, summer was like hot and dusty, even for the super wealthiest of Winnipeg residents. So since the vote was held in July... They were probably actively thinking about, like, oh, how nice would it be if I could go to a park that had, like, a place to swim and vote. In one big tree to sit under. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, the idea right from the start is that it's going to be a park on the water. Yeah. Um, so, right away, there begin debates over location. Um, the Free Press argued that an outside park expert was needed for the selection process. <laughs> Now, can you guess whether or not the city could afford this? Absolutely not. <laughs> they could not. So we did not have that. Where would you even find an outside park expert? I don't know. I guess you could hire a park designer before you even started the process. I mean, yeah, I guess if you look at, like, older cities. I When I was in Halifax, they had, like, a really nice old civic garden right in the center yeah. of town that's, like, an English garden that was, like, really deliberately planned out. Yeah. But so, you'd like, have to pay for, like, some big wig Eastern Canadian then. Yeah. So, like, they do hire someone, and we'll, we'll get to that, but not until after the site okay. has been selected. Yeah. So I guess you could just hire that person earlier in the yeah. process. I don't know. Okay. But they don't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do that. Yeah. Um, so there are four sites that are sort of seriously considered. Yeah. Um, The first was owned by John O'Meara, who in November of 1903 purchased full-page ads talking about how great his land was. (laughs) Um, It says, O'Meara's option, the place for city park. Wow, so he's desperate for the city to buy his land. Um, Advertised its accessibility, said it had lots of trees and its immense size. Where was it? Mm, I don't have written down where this one was. It must have been somewhere on the river. Yeah. But I'm not sure. This one might have been on the red. I know some of them were on the Assiniboine and a couple of them were on the red. Um, But once the board went to visit this one, it was found to have too few large trees. More importantly, it had a railway line running through the middle of it. Oh, that's safe. 
railway line really gave me a bit of a tongue twister there. <laughs> it's okay. It happens to all of us. Yeah. Um, it was described by one of them as hay swamp trimmed with willow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not where you want the park. Um, one of them is now Wildwood Park. Okay. Yeah, which I think is, you know, quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, its owner, Pearson, though, gave the city an ultimatum that they either had to commit to buying it right away or he would sell it off to private buyers. And so they just didn't go through with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like anytime you're dealing with like a slow government process, maybe the ultimatum is not <laughs> the tactic. <laughs> it's not going to go work through. in your favor. No. Um, there's also a site owned by Archibald Wright. Um, now, he takes an interesting tack similar to John O'Meara, but a little sneakier. He seems to have plant a l- planted a letter in the free press. Oh. Um, there's also a full page spread on the front page of the telegram, which I, I imagine he paid for. Yeah. So just again, advertising how amazing it would be for a park. Um, he also offered to sell below market value to raise the price of the surrounding land, which he also owned. Uh, gross. Rather clever, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, the problem with his site though, although it was like quite close to where Cinnaboyne Park is now. Um, was that the river frontage was really, like, muddy and steep. Oh, okay. Um, and again, the idea at this time was that this would partly be a place to go in the water. Yeah. Um, so the fourth site was owned by Monroe Pure Milk Company. And this one actually... Love my pure milk. Yes. (laughs) I prefer my tainted milk, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So this one was not one of the ones originally offered, but it came out when people began proposing that the south side of the Assiniboine River would be the nicest place yeah. to be. Um, so it was right next to the Archibald Wright property. And um, Mayor Arbuthnot, kind of looking at this one, suggested that the Assiniboine could actually be redirected to create a small lake in the park. And that streetcars could run yeah. to it, making it accessible. Um, so it looked like a pretty nice property, lots of nice trees yep. and everything. The issue with this one was that the property wasn't continuous. Ah. So private owners held some small parts of it. Yeah, okay. Um, And they didn't want to sell. Oh, yeah. So it was possible to expropriate them, but again, that's like something that's kind of iffy. Iffy, and it takes work and time, and totally. people can fight that. Yes. Um. So in December, the Parks Board meets, and they make the formal recommendation to the city that the Monroe site be selected and that the smaller parcels of land be expropriated. Oh, so they went through with expropriation. Sort of. Okay. They, um, over time, I think they threatened to expropriate until they agree to sell. (laughs) Is 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 that not basically expropriation? (laughs) Basically. Um, yeah, actually one, um, one smaller landowner, the mayor and the um, parks board head have to go to his um, house for, and talk to him for like three hours and still aren't able to convince him. Like they have to go back on several occasions to try and talk him wow. into selling. And I think eventually are like, well, we're going to expropriate it and then negotiate with him. Jeez. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, so according to the Tribune, the decision wasn't unanimous, but most people ought to be happy with it. Mm -hmm. Um, According to the Tribune, it had magnificent river frontage and was closer to the city than any of the other proposed sites. And as the city expanded in that direction, they figured it was also likely to be more central than any of the other proposed sites. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. 
Um, there is a little bit of fighting and criticism about the fact that the city hadn't taken the Pearson site. This is the one about with the ultimatum. Yeah. So basically, the Parks Board and City Council are like, it's not available anymore. Like, well, <laughs> What do you want we, us to like, do? We, we didn't, but we can't. Yeah. So, too bad. Um, it takes forever for the decision to be finalized. And truth be told, I got bored of trying to find the exact date. <laughs> <laughs> No, that seems like it might be a bit of a slog. Yeah, I was going through them and it kept being like, it has been put forward to the next thing. And I'm like, no, nope, okay, I'm done. But sometime in uh, 1904. Fair enough, yeah. Sometime in the first half of 1904, it's finalized. Um, apparently one property owner showed up at the city council meeting to finalize it to vent about his site not being chosen and called the Monroe property a grub-infested swamp. <laughs> That's the main reason I kept slogging through is because I really wanted to find more records about that. Was there anything about it being a grub-infested swamp? I could not find anything about it being a grub-infested swamp, and I did search those words. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are several suggestions for the name, including La Verandrie, um, Alexandra, King Edward. Um, someone writes into the Tribune with a... Um, a few names from um, indigenous words. Um, so one suggestion is muscute, which means prairie, but that is deemed to sound too much like mosquito, which yeah. is fair. <laughs> mosquito Park. Yeah. So the unofficial name for a long time was simply City Park, yeah. as you said. Um, but the official name was Assiniboine Park, and yeah. we, we really sort of start using that, I think, more later on. Yeah. Which made this really fun to research, because I just had to search City Park all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. Do you ever feel like people in the past have kind of set us up for, fa for failure by being like, we're going to name our child, like, Charles Smith. And everyone's going to name their kid that this year. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to sort of deal with it. Yeah. And uh, let's just say the park and figure that everyone knows what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in the early stages, they're just like, the suburban park is being discussed. Great. Yeah. Um, so in 1904, they began looking for a park architect, and they hire a young planner named Frederick Todd. Okay. So they actually weren't originally considering him, but when the he hears that they're hiring, he kind of applies to them. And I think part of the reason they hire him is because he's quite young. So they can pay him less? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is not to say that he's not competent. Yeah. But just, I think that's part of the reason they did go with him. He had also worked with this guy, Olmstead, who was kind of like the big name in parks okay. at this point. Like, Olmstead Parks are a whole big yeah. thing. Um, and so he develops a beautiful and elaborate plan, which is very quickly deemed to be too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything. More us. Yeah. It's very sad. I feel, I'm just picturing this really, like, young, optimistic um parks designer who's just come out of this like apprenticeship with this famous guy and we're like and these big ideas what they suggest to him is that they he try instead enhancing the natural environment which i think Ooh. basically means like we can't afford to make big changes work with the trees you got kid. exactly <laughs> so there's this really sad back and forth of they keep oh. sending him away and he comes back with designs and they're like that's still too expensive oh no this poor guy yeah so they do. Are there like drawings of the original designs or anything? Because I'd be curious to see what oh, those are like. Good question. There are some drawings of original maps, but I don't. I don't have any way like his original designs that got no like yeah got poo pooed. <laughs> Time to be... bug the city archivist. Yeah, they might be in the city archives. <laughs> they I probably would be if they were presented to council. Probably. Um, the chief gardener, 
for the city at this point is a guy by the name of D.D. England. So Mm -hmm. he obviously is going to have a big hand in building this new park. But remember, we've started this process in 1904. In 1905, irregularities are found. Oh, no. So the park isn't even open yet. Great. But apparently he has been deploying park employees for private work at city expense. (laughs) Um, this work has included um, cutting wood for him, cleaning his horse, picking potatoes. <laughs> imagine, just, imagine being his employee. Yeah. And your boss is like, you gotta fold my socks? Yeah. Like, you gotta pick my potatoes and also plow and manure my garden. And my horse is dirty. Can you fix yeah. that? <laughs> this is also my favorite because it's the pettiest. He was using Park's feed for his horse while still taking a $30 stipend to feed his horse. (laughs) (laughs) Like really getting every little, little penny out of the city. Um, also he apparently was not stopping employees from drinking on the job. That's worse. Yes. That (laughs) not great. And dangerous. Yeah. Construction. I mean, you would think so. Yeah. With a lot of cutting down trees and building structures. Dealing with horses. Yeah. Though apparently if they're just like cleaning his horse, maybe it's fine. (laughs) Not doing a lot in terms of labor, apparently. But yeah, for those reasons, obviously not a lot is getting done at this point. And so he actually resigns in 1906. So he's not fired. He just like preemptively quits. I think so. I mean, I think they kind of like pull him in front of the parks board and are like, stop this. And so I think they allow him to resign effectively. If you don't let me... Use my, use my employees to wash my horse. I'm out of here. Yeah, you can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> um, discussion starts being held about having a pavilion at the park. Okay. Um, and an architectural competition is held, which seems to be our favorite way to build things at this point, eh? That's, yeah, pretty common. I mean, even today they'll still do something similar yeah. where everyone submits designs and then yes. they pick. It seems... Whether know. or not they use the pick design is a different thing, but like yes. it still happens all the time. They did it with uh, Market Square. Oh, cool. I mean, it seems a little iffy because it's like then people are doing all these work and might get nothing. But yeah, I mean, often what you do is you bribe everyone to look at the bids yeah. and then you go under. <laughs> if I know anything about Winnipeg history, yeah. it's you underbid. <laughs> um, so the top prize is seventy five dollars. Um, what a steal. Yes. <laughs> and then I guess presumably yeah. more if they actually then hire you yeah. to use your design and everything. Um, so it's won by J.D. Atchison. Yeah, I know yeah. J.D. Atchison. Yes. Yeah. So he's quite early in his career at this yeah. point. But he went on to build a ton of apartment buildings yeah. in the city as well as Lord Wolseley School, which is around where I grew up. The old Tribune building, the Medical Arts building, the Manitoba School for the Deaf, yeah. and a whole bunch of others. Medical Arts is my favorite building. It's a city. neat building. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I have a pin of it right here. Oh, from oh, the really? Architecture Foundation, yeah. one of theirs? Yeah, it's oh, so cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, so an, an actual, like, good, neat architect. Yeah, so, I really like Atchison's work. Though, without enough money to do it properly, as as is our style. Yeah. But um, we shall not blame those problems on J.D. Yeah. Atchison. <laughs> um, now, in terms of the design of the zoo, um, so like I said, in these early days, urban zoos were often quite cramped right yeah it was really difficult to even once we started thinking about it take into account the comfort of the animals yeah um winnipeg zoo though was well placed to be comfortable because we had quite a bit of space to be building with right we had built this enormous park and there wasn't a city encroaching on it right a lot of this was just open space even the parts that the city hadn't bought yet could potentially be expanded into right so 
there was all this nice room. This wasn't actually going to be our first zoo, though. Okay. So our first zoo was actually in River Park. And oh, was, yeah. Yeah. Which was run by the Winnipeg Electric Railway Company. To promote the streetcars. Yeah. So this was not a public zoo, exactly. We had to pay to get park. in. It was yeah. like 10 cents or something, I think. Yes. So that's kind of the big um, push with this park, right? Is that yeah. you don't have to pay to get in. Yeah. Um, so the one at River Park had a number of native animals, including bison, elk, caribou, deer, foxes, and so on. Um, it had a bear pit. At, like I said, those are super depressing. It's literally a pit in the ground with a bear in it. Sometimes people throw food at them. It's, yeah, not great. Not yeah. where a bear should live. Um, apparently the top of one of these can still be seen. Oh. Yeah, I guess, like, the remainder of, like, where it was filled in. Interesting, because, yeah, I guess River Park is kind of where, like, BDI is. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I might have read on Churchill Drive. Oh, we'll have to go looking for it one. Yes, we'll have to go look for it. Um, eventually, though, the land for River Park, because it was owned privately, was yeah. sold, and um, eventually to make housing. It's um, a suburb now. Yeah, so the animals I think may have eventually been transferred to the Assiniboine okay. Zoo. Um, but in any case, having like a public proper zoo would be a status symbol yeah. for sure, right? Like big fancy. Par uh, cities have zoos. Yeah. You know, London and New York and... Toronto. Yeah. Well, Toronto gets there later. Oh, really? Yes. Um, Take so, that, uh, though, Toronto. Yeah, though they may have had one earlier. I yeah. just know about the the one that they have now was built later. I was at Trinity Bellwoods Park one time in Toronto. Oh, yeah? And do you know the singer Ron Sexsmith? Yes. So Vaguely. I just saw Ron Sexsmith and the, someone was walking their dog by and he goes, hi, puppy. And I was like, that's very Toronto. Yeah. Just Ron Sexsmith greeting a puppy. <laughs> Wandering around. I love that. That's my story. That's nice. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. I one time saw Jeff Goldblum in Toronto. Whoa. <laughs> I, my friends didn't believe me, which is very upsetting. <laughs> I probably told this story I have before. a much more low impact story. It's that I saw Fred Penner at the U of W once and my friend's mom is like, sure you did. <laughs> and I was like, why would I lie Fred about- Fred Penner lived here until very recently. Lived here, yeah, went like... to the U of M or the U of W. So yeah. you would see him there all the time. Um, she was just convinced I was like lying about seeing Fred Penner. <laughs> <laughs> um, his daughter used to teach musical theater at the dance studio I went to. Oh, fun. Yeah. So I'd see her all the time. I think my wife grew up with one of his daughters. Oh, yeah. And my, my wife said, she's like, yeah, like I knew the dog Poco that the song oh. Poco was written about. And like, oh, yeah, I really think he sweet. lived just a few blocks away from here before he got divorced. And I think he like quietly moved to Toronto a few years ago. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then we actually saw him at the Toronto trip because we were there for the Polaris Music Prize Gala oh. and he was hosting that year. Oh. And he brought Word Bird. Aw. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, which yeah. was so we got to see Word Bird and everything, and yeah, that's really fun. Yeah, good times. Um, We're taking a lot yeah, of fun I detours. I don't know. How, I don't know how we got there, but um, Toronto parks. Toronto yeah. parks. So I, we're ahead of Toronto even... on like big city zoos. Yes, big city zoos. We want a zoo. It's a status symbol, and so it was part of the original proposition yeah. for the park. A range of that. animals. Yes, a range or a museum of animals. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the first kind of steps towards that is that a fence is built for the bison. I've so heard, I know what happens next. I've heard the story, so I'm excited. Wait, is there a story to that? I don't know. Is don't the bison escape at one point? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I think the bison escape because the fence is low. I feel like there's a whole thing where they like get across to a different property and have to oh be reherded. Um, it sounds like something that for sure happened, but not something that came up for me. I feel like I heard it on a tour at some point. Yeah. So. Uh. 
I never I'm did have to look into it. I never did tours in a Cinnaboyne Park area, so it's never yeah. a thing I had to learn. So I've heard it from other people. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. We've also had a bison herd for a long time, so they're gonna jump a fence eventually, yes. and they can jump high. There are also like many animal escaping yeah. stories. I think it's maybe more common than we think, but usually it's just like they don't escape very far. <laughs> Um, anyway, they build a fence. Yeah, so they build a fence for the bison, and yeah. that's basically our zoo initially. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, so the idea was initially for a display primarily of native animals, um, just because those would be much cheaper and easier to house, yeah. right? Because they don't need special climate control, yeah. or, I mean, we don't even have air conditioning for humans at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah, tough time to bring, like, a polar bear. It, totally, yeah. So the city arranged to purchase a number of animals. There was one elk, two moose, two deer, two bears, a fox, and two bald eagles to begin with. It just kind of sounds like going out to Bird's Hill. It kind of does, yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's not maybe super exciting. I mean, a moose is pretty cool. Are we seeing a bear? They're huge. We almost hit a moose once on a oh, really? family gathering out near Morden. We were driving back from a visit, and we stopped, like, just in front of it. And wow. it's so big. Huh. I've never seen a moose, like, in person, not at a zoo. They're very scary. Yeah, I bet. I mean, people die from hitting moose. Yep. Which is, yeah, probably the most Canadian way to go. We don't have to include <laughs> this as another tangent, but I, dro- <laughs> I drove out. I've driven out to Ontario twice. Mm-hmm. And there are all these signs on the highway to just have a moose and say night danger. Because I guess <laughs> <laughs> you're more in danger of hitting a moose at night because it's right. harder to see. But I was talking to my Makes cousin. Makes it seem like a moose is like a cryptid. <laughs> well, yeah. The joke I have with my friend is that the moose was called night danger. <laughs> danger the moose but my cousin's husband was like well if you see one don't slam on the brake it's safer to speed up and hope it flips <gasps> over your car oh my god it is yeah you're not supposed to slam on the brakes yeah. if you see an animal which is the scariest thing i think. I would i would not have the guts to speed up into an animal yeah you don't yeah. swerve away yeah. like you just you go and you let but the just, car like, you hope and pray that that moose goes over you uh. yeah it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't encounter night danger, well, for what it's worth. I, I don't drive, so. It's <laughs> not an issue you ever had to I face. Won't, I won't have to think too much. <laughs> that would give me. That would you be, don't have to fear night danger. This would be a thing I would spiral thinking about is, <laughs> what will I do if I encounter a moose on the road? I don't think you're ever going to do a three-day road trip to Toronto, so you should be fine. Yeah. Um, in any case, um, the 1906 budget gave an estimate of about $2,000 for housing and maintenance of the yeah. animals, which even in 1906 is not very much. Yeah. Um, so the zoo and the park opened properly in around 1908, 1909. Weirdly, there's not like a grand opening when it opens. It just kind of quietly is available as a park, yeah. which I guess, I guess kind of makes sense because it's not fenced off or anything. You can yeah. just walk in. You can probably watch it being built. Totally. Um, but by 1909, the zoo has 19 species and Ooh. and quite a number of animals in total as well. That's exciting. Yeah. All mostly still like local animals? Mostly in the beginning, yeah. Um, and it's actually immediately very popular. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And so in this period from kind of 1904 to 1915, the park is being built up quite rapidly. Um, and there's a limited budget for sure, but the desire is there to start collecting. And also they almost immediately go back on this thing of like just native animals yeah um so it's growing through purchases and births but also um donations from you know from hunters or trappers what have you um now in terms of the rest of the park in this period the pavilion is completed in 1908 um and becomes a real social hub 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's got a dance hall and a banquet hall. Now, it cost less than $20,000 to build. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it looked quite nice, but it was quite cheaply made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a little more like, I'm not going to say art deco, that's not quite what this is, but it's one like flat rectangular building with kind of a tower coming out yeah. of it, some nice like brown shingles. It's like almost, it, it's fairly similar to the current one. The current one has like Tudor style beaming on yes. it though, which yeah, is a pretty- the new one. The new one is a little fancier and bigger as well. Yeah. Um, so the fact that that is not the same one we have now should be some foreshadowing for you. Um, yeah, so it was quite cheaply made out of wood. It leaked whenever it rained. Yeah. Some more foreshadowing. In 1912, the Parks Board requested an estimate for fireproofing. Yeah. Hmm. Um, will this go the way of every other Winnipeg building? I wonder. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> we'll have to wait approximately eight years to see. Okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, it becomes this real kind of center of Winnipeg yeah. social life, which is kind of neat. Um, an artificial duck pond is built. Um, however, there is the decision not to have any amusements like merry-go-rounds or like anything you'd have on like a midway. Okay. So no rides, no games, nothing like that. No fun. As nothing tends to detract from the beauty or lower the tone of a park more than things of this kind, which are entirely at variance with all things that a park should be. I mean, I guess it would be weird if you went to like the Grand Canyon, there's a roller coaster going down into the canyon. <laughs> That's that's very true. I mean, it starts this kind Not of... Not that Assiniboine Park is the Grand Canyon no. of Winnipeg. <laughs> it does start this kind of That would be Garbage Hill. Between... That would be Garbage Hill. <laughs> oh, yeah. Between, like, do we want this to be, um, like, a restful nature place, or do we want it to be a fun place? Yeah. Um, the rules in the park at the beginning, are no swearing, no drinking, no gambling, no spitting, no loud talking, <laughs> no food sales outside of the pavilion, no merry-go-rounds, <laughs> um, and in the pavilion, no cigarettes. Okay. I feel like we've we've broken some of those rules at Assiniboine Park. <laughs> yeah, when does Cargo Bar come into play? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that breaks many of those rules. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and actually, a merry-go-round is built, like, within a couple of years anyway. Yeah. And in 1910, a bandstand is built. The merry-go-round, then, would have been that, like, thing you push, right? The um, spinning thing as opposed to, like, a mechanical merry-go-round? Mechan good question. Mechanical merry-go-rounds are a pretty old thing. Yeah. It might have been a mechanical merry-go-round, but I couldn't say Because I feel like in, in Morris, sure. we had, like, a merry-go-round, but yeah. it was just one of the, like, sort of circular platforms that yeah. you push yourself on really fast and then all of the kids fly off and it's dangerous yeah. and horrifying. I mean, I know the zoo later for sure had a real merry-go-round. Yeah. But so this, one I, this one, I actually don't know if it was a mechanical one or not. Um, But yeah, so definitely there's that kind of like people who are actually visiting it kind of want it to have fun things. You know what this is kind of reminding me of? When you go to like a museum, they're like, we're important and you must be quiet and yes. engage with the piece on its own. Mm-hmm. And then you have kids screaming through the urban gallery and playing pretend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and wanting to learn nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to trick kids into learning is yes. the thing. Um, so you have to trick them into enjoying nature by installing a merry-go-round exactly. and letting them curse a little bit. <laughs> just, just dams. Nothing more. <laughs> <laughs> um, they also began thinking of building a conservatory in this period. Um, there's also proposals to build a dam to raise the water level to allow swimming and boating, but this unfortunately... Is that too expensive? Yes, it never yeah. happens. 
yeah, and this is kind of this whole story. I was like, oh, so this is actually just the story of us never having the budget for any of the ideas that we <laughs> Big have. Big dreams, no money. Yes, that is basically the summary of this episode. <laughs> um, one of the big issues of the park is public access. Right, Which yeah. maybe is something we should have considered more when we selected the site. I think we were just kind of like, eh, we'll build streetcars. It'll figure itself out. Yeah. And then, but then didn't do that. This is the classic problem of, we're going to do phase one, and then we'll do phase two of building the railroad. And then you do phase one, and you're like, eh, we've yeah. done it. Yeah. <laughs> and then it passes into the hands of another city council who doesn't want to budget for that. And it's yeah. like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there were a few different ways to get there. They all involved a lot of walking. Yeah. Um, you could take a streetcar to city limits, then cross the Canadian Northern Bridge and go through Tuxedo Park. Okay. You could go to the Agricultural College and then walk from there. That's where the uh, Jewish Heritage Center is now. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. It's that same building. Um, Wellington Crescent is constructed, so at least there's yep. a road. And this is, I find, super interesting, the construction of Wellington Crescent. Is it paved? Um, oh, good question. I don't know. Road paving was... Just, I read a lot of the Tribune okay. Trumps for <laughs> Facebook reasons, so there's a lot of talk about paving roads uh, around, like, 1908, 1910 yeah. period, where it's, like, a big deal that roads are getting paved. Um, I would guess yes, given the tone oh, of okay. what they have planned for Wellington Crescent. So what they say is, every precaution should be exercised in the construction of the proposed Crescent Road. Preservation of the natural beauty of the park and road leading to it should be of first importance. An effort should be put forth to place building restrictions, permitting only buildings of a stated class, Ugh. and a front line of, say, 50 <laughs> feet on each side of the street to preserve the beauty and symmetry of the driveway. What I love is a nice, symmetrical driveway. Yeah, so it's really funny that we tax just about everyone to build this park, and then the road leading to it, we're like, only rich people, no pores. Yeah. Yeah. You have to feel uncomfortable if you're poor and walking to the park. Yeah. So it's really interesting that as we're building that road, we're like, this is not to be accessible. Yeah. <laughs> Though it is to be beautiful. Yeah. And presumably anyone can walk down the road, I guess. But yeah, only homes of a stated class. And you had sent me something about Tuxedo a little while ago that was quite similar. Hey? Oh, yeah. The rhetoric around Tuxedo was like, it's a suburb where no poor people can afford to live here. Yeah. It's quiet. Yes. So really interesting that we're sold a public park and then immediately are like, okay, but don't get too close, though. We don't want you here all the time. Like, you can be in the city and you can be in the park, but if I catch you in between... <laughs> we're going to be real mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, in 1911, a seasonal footbridge is built. That makes getting there a lot easier. That leads to, like, portage. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So you can get down portage, right? Yeah. And then from there, you can just take the footbridge across. Yeah. The problem is that in spring, this bridge is destroyed by ice flows. Oh, yeah. Do I, don't know, I don't know if we just didn't think of that the first year. Um, but for the next 20 years, the Parks Board builds that wooden footbridge and then dismantles it in the fall. Okay. Which is unsurprisingly expensive. Yeah. And eventually they decide they can't keep doing this. It costs about $1,000 yeah. a year um, and then more, yeah. presumably over time. And was called by one of them an Anglo-Saxon extravagance. <laughs> Which, I don't know what that means, but... Um, bridges are fancy people, yeah. that sense. Bridges are just for fancy Brits. Is the solution not just to build a higher bridge? Um, yeah, but we don't figure that out for a while. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a footprint. 
footage there now. Yes, there is. That is not destroyed by ice flows or dismantled. Yeah, so that's not built for, it takes us a couple of decades to be like, oh, what if we build a bridge that isn't destroyed every year? (laughs) Because if we had taken all the money we spent each year building a new bridge. could build a really high bridge. Yeah. Um, But even with bad access, um, the zoo is super popular. Um, 96% of park visitors in 1916 made a visit to the zoo. Wow. Um, the money just never seems to be there is the issue. Yeah. And it, it's maybe worth mentioning that we had said earlier that to, like, get into River Park, which was privately owned, yeah. you needed to pay. To get into Assiniboine Park, there's no fee. There's also no fee for the zoo. Yeah. And that's, like, pretty important to Winnipeggers for a long time. Yeah, no, I remember when the zoo, every time the zoo hikes their prices now, people complain. I but, know. like, if you want. It's like, expensive now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you want, like, they have polar bears, so they've done so many expansions, yes, yeah. it makes sense they've had to raise the cost. Yeah. So I can see why it would be difficult to afford to maintain 19 different animal species. Yep, when... and, and more now. I mean, yeah. it's been built up quite a bit in this time. And then, yeah, like, there's no money actively coming in. No, there's, yeah, the only money and is And I in the city budget for it's city. not high. Nope. Um, yeah, so... One thing that does help with that a little bit is that there is the decision made that Winnipeg should have just one zoo, because there had been some discussion when Kildonan Park was built, which had just happened, that it could also have a zoo. Um, So they decided that they were just going to have the one, and Kildonan Park would have other things. Yeah, Kildonan Park is doing fine, I think. Yeah, Kildonan Park is fine. It's lovely. It doesn't need an additional zoo. On On a related note, I've tried to look up stuff about the witch's hut yeah kildonan park so many times and i can never find anything oh good any good records on. i don't know if you know anything yeah if you know anything <laughs> about the witch's hut beyond just like the couple of you know two paragraph articles that are online let us know um yeah so the budget's already low and during the first world war unsurprisingly what was already a slim budget is further cut oh yeah yeah um, budget constraints are also compounded by a number of disasters at the park. Oh, no. Um, so a conservatory had been built, um, yep. but in 1926, a hailstorm destroyed two-thirds of the glass. Oh, uh, that must have been a big hailstorm. Uh, yeah, and I mean, if you think about a conservatory, most of it is glass, <laughs> so that's that's most of the building. Um, and in May 1929, the pavilion is burnt to the ground. Yeah. Here comes our foreshadowing. <laughs> like, literally raised. Um, here, I'll show you a picture. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's just rubble. Yeah, it's just... I've never seen a picture of it after the fire. Yeah, so the headline here is Park Pavilion Swept by pl- by Flames. Two gaunt chimneys were all that remained of a Cinnaboyne Park Pavilion when a fire of unknown origin reduced the big wooden building to a heap of ashes early this morning. You know, I have to say, the thing with old Winnipeg papers is they really know how to describe a fire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they had enough of them to practice with. This is really, like, lurid descriptions. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it says also, the alarm was turned in, was turned in at 3.30 a.m. by St. James residents living across the river from the park. So, they didn't even know about the fire until people across the river saw it. Yeah. What? 19- people would have had phones by then, I guess, but it still would have been... No one's living in the no. park to notice right away, and there wouldn't have been, like, a fire alarm system yeah. in the building. So, By yeah. the time the firemen arrived, it was just, they just allowed yeah. it to burn itself out. So yeah. the the building was gone. It was wooden, like I said, so yeah. there wasn't much to preserve except the chimney. Basically a matchbox. Yeah. So it was of unknown origin, as that said, but it was believed to have been caused by thieves. 
Oh. Whether intentionally or by accident is unclear. They were smoking inside. They were breaking the so, rule. So, <laughs> smoking possibly. <and> spitting. <laughs> apparently, apparently a box of, so actually I think cigarettes were allowed inside the pavilion by that point. Okay. Because what they found in a field nearby was a box of cigarette packages and chocolate bars and other things, which were for sale at the pavilion. Okay. So, Someone stole the cigarettes and chocolate. Yes, and maybe smoked a cigarette and accidentally lit the pavilion on fire. Or and did it on purpose. <laughs> we don't know. If you did that accidentally when you're trying to steal a chocolate bar, how bad that, would you that's feel? That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so a reward of $500 is offered for information leading to the arrest of the thieves, but I don't think this um, ever came to anything. Okay. Um, Frank White, the caretaker of the park, didn't know about the fire until the police came and woke him up, which oh. sucks. Yeah. He was just, like, soundly sleeping nearby and then woke up and the pavilion was gone. Oh, no. Um, good news, though, Nick. The sunken pond that you were talking about with the goldfish in it yeah, yeah. Um, was intact. And the goldfish living in it were still alive, although greatly agitated. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was also a safe at the scene, which couldn't be open for nearly two days because of the heat. So it so, stayed hot for that long? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, incredibly, the Parks Board decides to build a new one at a meeting held the following day. Oh, wow. Which is about the fastest I've ever seen a board make a decision. <laughs> I guess that would have been, like, a popular hotspot for people, right? It would have been kind of a shame to, like, lose that social spot. Yes. And so there's also some discussion of the fact that, um, like, it was basically out of date. Like, yeah. in 1925, the Parks Board had actually already suggested that it be completely yeah. rebuilt, but they just hadn't budgeted for that. Um, yeah, they said it had become a good deal out of date. In particular, it was quite unsuitable for the holding of the many civic luncheons at which the city council entertained groups of distinguished visitors. Oh, okay, yeah. So it makes sense that they're like, we need a nicer pavilion to bring our guests to. Yeah, so I was wondering if there could be any kind of conspiracy there. Like, could they have burned it down for the insurance money? Saved on the demolition costs by doing it without a proper crew. Yeah, (laughs) but probably not. It was only insured for $16,000, and the new one which was built cost $96,000. Yeah. Wow. So if it was <laughs> if it was done on purpose, bad math. <laughs> <laughs> the new one's very nice though. I really like it the new is. one. Yeah, and it opened the following year. That's really fast. Super fast. Um on Victoria Day and that's the one that we have today, yeah. which is really cool. Wow. Um so the event was celebrated with a free ice cream cone for every child of ice cream age who visited. One of the architects of the new pavilion was the father of the Mary um, Bonnie Castle. Okay. Who helped run Harlequin Romance. Oh, right. Huh. I don't think her name is Mary. I got that wrong. <laughs> Regardless, the one of the Bonnie Castles who helped form Harlequin is the daughter of a guy who built the Assiniboine Park Pavilion. Mm, cool. I mean, Winnipeg's a small, small place. city. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so in some ways this um, may have been a blessing. Like I said, it was for sure in need of repair. And if it had burnt down even like a year or two later, it might never have been rebuilt. Right, yeah. I mean, even like October of 1929 would have been the stock market crash and then that's it. Yeah, we're coming in right under the wire here. Um, But this is a serious time of financial distress for Assiniboine Park. And just for literally everyone, everyone, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No, just the park. So, a genius uh, solution. We created refreshment booths. (laughs) I 
mean, the park is making literally no money at yeah. this point, right? Aside from some money in the pavilion, I yeah. guess, from selling refreshments and such. But now they're selling refreshments also at booths. Wow. So the one at the zoo actually was super successful, made a ton mm. of money. Um, after a year, they doubled its size. Wow. 1931 is also an exciting year because they created a permanent footbridge. Hey, we got we, there. Yeah, we got there. We figured it out. Um. So I feel like it's actually surprising that so much is done to the park throughout the, the Depression. Yeah. I don't know where we found the money. Um, they also, around this time, made a very optimistic visit to the Brookfield Zoo in Chicago for, like, ideas for building oh. up the zoo. So, I don't know. Someone is still thinking, like... There's some big zoo visionary who's like, we're going to get through this. Yep. Yep. Um, in 1935, though, the Khartoum Shrine of Winnipeg... So, these are the Shriners. Yeah. Weird and Orientalist. But, thanks to them, we got two lion cubs and five monkeys for the zoo. Oh. This did, though, make the financial distress of the zoo very apparent. Yeah. Because the warning was made that unless new buildings were erected, many of the most popular animals, this is a quote here, would have to be disposed of. Oh. Now, I don't want us to think that that means they'd have to die. It might. But I think more likely they'd just be sent to others. That's often the language they use in, like, booklets about bears, where it's like, problem bears will be eliminated yeah. <laughs> or disposed of. They find, like, weird ways to Night avoid... Night danger, the, the moose will be eliminated. eliminated. No, they find weird ways to get around saying, we're going to have to put the animal down and be like, they'll be disposed of. Yes. Yeah. So, also, like, in... Destroyed is the language a in the couple parks years, booklets. Yeah. A couple years later, as the lions were getting bigger and weren't cubs anymore... They were basically forced to build a new lion house. Yeah, lions are not small animals. No. It was either that or not have lions yeah. in one way or another. So do we know what happened to the animals who were They Well, no, because they... they it was just like a vague threat. Yeah, it yeah. was basically... I think what it was was a threat to get more money for the zoo. Yeah. And probably was in that vague language of like, we might kill the animals <laughs> if you don't give us the money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there literally was not yeah. a space for them. So, you know... Um, it, this also meant that the lions could stay in one place during both summer and winter now that they had a new hey. lion house. They had previously been moved every year once winter came, but as the lions were becoming full grown, yeah. that was getting super dangerous. Where were they moving them to? I think, like, until quite late, actually, they had just, like, inside spaces where a lot of the animals went during the winter, and they don't seem like they were nice. Like, no. I think it was just cages indoors. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and, like, during the winter, you wouldn't even be able to see a lot of the animals. Because yeah. they would just be away. Yeah. Um, in 1939, they also got a wild orphan polar bear cub named Carmichael, who a year later got a mate named Clementine. I really like Carmichael as a name Isn't for a that polar really bear. Sweet? Yeah. Carmichael and Clementine. It's so cute. nice. So, yeah, I, th I feel like this is starting to sound more like the zoo that we kind of know. Yeah. They're getting actual buildings and... Animals that aren't just like a moose. Yeah. And some bears. I mean, a moose is cool, but a yeah. lion is maybe a little more interesting. Well, I feel like the appeal of that is like you can see an animal you're never going to see anywhere yes, else, right? Absolutely. Like, I can see a moose if I walk around Manitoba long enough. Yeah. I'm not going to encounter a lion in the wild. Probably not. <laughs> Unless something has gone horribly wrong. Or you've like gone a little not so good in the brain. 
Or I've gotten horribly lost in a really interesting way. <laughs> or you're on the yellow brick road. Yeah, there you go. If you run into a lion, a tiger, and a bear. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get out of here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so because of that... Um, the zoo is increasing in popularity. The funny thing about that, though, is like, I'm sure they're really happy about it, but it doesn't mean they're making more money. <laughs> <laughs> it's just cool. Yeah, but they kept having to, like, expand the parking lot. Yeah. Um, there were demands for more playgrounds for children in the park. Oh, wait, did that rail line or boat line ever get there? It did not. <laughs> <laughs> so people are still, like, having to drive out. Yeah. So you can basically, the footbridge at least yeah. exists now. So basically you can go down Portage and cross it. Yeah. Getting to the zoo is actually still a nightmare. Um, a couple years ago, or no, I guess a few years ago, I got offered a job at the zoo just in like, whatever, front, yeah. front of house and took the bus to and from the interview and realized like I could not do that every day. That's fair. Yeah. You can take the 18 there, but you have to live yeah. Near Corden. It's I was still, still a living, long ride. I was still living in East Kildonan at the time. Oh, so absolutely that was, no, not. That no. was not good. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like even, yeah, from where I live now, which is fairly central, it's still pretty rough to get to the zoo. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, access is just never The addressed. idea of a boat to the zoo is so fun. It would be neat. I don't know why we never did that. We have the water taxi now, so maybe one day. That would be neat, a little water taxi out to the zoo. What a fun day. One I time, like one time my wife was busing out of the zoo and the bus driver was like driving right past her and then stopped and went back and was like, I'm sorry, no one's ever been at this bus stop before. <laughs> like, yeah, because no one's busing to the zoo. I no, guess. Like, um, the so bus stop from the zoo is just like, yeah, it's one of those ones. It's just like a signpost on the side of the road. Yeah. Like <laughs> there is a trolley that kind of runs, I think, from the forks and back now. Okay. Uh, only runs in the summers and not like yeah regular enough hours that it would be consistent to plan around it's yeah. on like weekends and stuff mm. i've never been able to take it so yeah. i don't really know but theoretically there is public That's transit to i don't get know there. hopefully but not the grand streetcar boat combo we could have no. had had anyone <laughs> followed through on that we have never followed through on anything so um, we can drive there in the 30s also then world war ii happens and there are more budget cuts oh great <laughs> Because the 30s weren't bad enough. Um, there's also a labor shortage. Yeah, right, war, yeah. Right? Well, materials, too, would have been. Not like yeah. that they're going to be building a lot when they have no money, but, like, yes. what a rough time to manage a zoo. So, basically, during World War II, nothing happens yeah. to that expand tracks. or improve the park. It's just kind of the status quo. After the war, the budget did rise, but not really enough to kind of meet increasing yeah. demands. Like, they're never really able to build up. It's just kind of like, okay, yeah. we're keeping the animals alive. Um they do start discussing expanding the zoo. I'm I'm constantly amazed by people who are like, we have no money. What if we expand? <laughs> what if we expand the zoo? A thing that generates no yes. profit at the moment. Yeah, it's insane that they, but I guess just the idea of having a zoo was enough. Yeah, I mean, theoretically it people would. People love the zoo. I guess people are probably willing to vote in favor of someone Zoos. who says we're going to make the zoo better. And I guess you can make the argument, people are probably coming in from out of town to see the zoo, right? Like, yeah, if yeah you're maybe bring from, in like, tourist money, that's true. Even like a rural community, we drove in to see the zoo all the time as kids. Yeah. Um, there's also the 1950 flood. This is just a list of disasters now <laughs> <laughs> that make it incredible we have a zoo or a park mm -hmm. at all. Um, yeah, so there's the 1950 flood. Um, fortunately, the park itself escapes extensive damage it is still pretty costly but there's yeah. nothing like irreversible yeah. that happens um the other thing is that like just about all parks employees were put on flood control work a lot of sandbagging yeah <laughs> 
So money also that might have been spent on the zoo was diverted. Yeah, that was an expensive flood. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think, like, after the war, they were finally starting to talk about, like, hey, maybe we can expand. Maybe there's some money here. And then the flood happens, no. and it's like, no. Mm-mm. So they once again make the decision that the goal of the zoo should be to exhibit animals native to Manitoba. I so think... we're really trimming our expectations <laughs> yeah. back. Yes. Like, what, 40, 50 years later? Right. And I don't know what we thought we were going to do with the lions. Like, <laughs> someone want these? Yeah. Um, they also undertook to make the zoo more educational. So that's a big shift. I feel like in the first half of the 20th century, zoos are just like a fun thing to go look at. Yeah. Um, the superintendent, though, visited a number of zoos to make contacts and learn more about exhibiting and caring for animals. And a trust fund was begun for the zoo, as well as a publicity campaign. Oh. So they're starting to be like, let's try and make this into something that's not just like cobbled together. Um, in 1956, the Zoological Society of Manitoba was formed. So this campaign does result in a steady increase of animal donations, which perhaps was not, <laughs> not the goal. <laughs> and eventually, actually, they had to begin refusing many of them. Oh, they what just... kind of animals were people trying to donate to the zoo? Well, a ton. So by 1960, we had 9,000 animals in the zoo and over 160 species. Wow. So, I mean, a lot of the animals yeah. that we have today. Um, I don't know where people were getting these yeah, animals. That was my bigger question. It's like, what are I, they offering as the public to be like, yeah. Do you want the fox I caught in my yard or I have acquired a zebra through yeah. mysterious means? <laughs> sure. A lot of the number of species and and like animals overall i think is made up with birds the original oh, zoo yeah. had quite a big like aviary okay yeah yeah so they also created a position of zoo curator so they're really sticking with the museum thing. yeah yeah and so interestingly they also borrow a guy called r sutton from the manitoba museum to be a part-time curator huh. that's really interesting <laughs> yeah yeah the idea right that you're just like putting animals on display like preserving them into like perpetuity right yeah, like yeah i mean the the training that a museum person has is very different from the training a zoo person has I yeah think neither of us would feel qualified i would like to be allowed to go near the animals yes i don't think i want to do anything like more than that. like should i be in charge no uh-uh could write a sign about a tiger i don't know if i'd want to like you know tag it for the collection i could write a great interpretive program about the tiger yeah i should not be put in charge of designing its habitat (laughs) um yeah and eventually they hire a full-time curator as well i think they still have a position of zoo curator i assume that is just someone who is expected now to have a lot more knowledge about animals yeah more like a zookeeping program as opposed to like a museum curator Mm mm-hmm just interesting um, language. Yeah. And they also, in the 50s, hire um, John Wallace to create a master plan for an enlarged zoo. This is the first of many zoo master plans. Have they not been planning before this? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's fair. If you have, like, what, 20 to 30 yeah. years of just, like, well, it's the crash, the depression, the war, the, war, the, the other flood. War, the, yeah. It's really hard to plan for the future when everything keeps stopping you. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, I guess there was the original park plan. But that's no longer feasible. Yes. Come the 1950s. No. Yeah. So this is this kind of master plan that they create. And there are many other master plans. And I kind of lose track of, like, are we still in that master plan or is this a new master plan? Um, They also, I think this is really funny, begin putting up new nameplates with information about the animals. 
<laughs> Which I'm like, did they not previously have information about the animals? It's just about looking. It's not about learning. <laughs> like, I guess. Um, they also obtained additional land from the town of Tuxedo, which allowed them to move forward um, with this expansion. Yeah. At this point, similarly to the lions, they had no way of keeping polar bears past cub stage. We seemed to just be collecting animals that we couldn't keep as adult animals, which is bizarre. Hmm. Um, two lions had to be tra- traded to the Seattle Zoo, apparently, because we didn't have space for them. Yeah, one of the weirder things about zoos is just, like, like you could kind of trade animals. Recently, like, I get that you can do that. Yeah. But it's just, like, like they're baseball cards? We but recently I get that you traded can, like... tigers at yeah. the zoo, which is really funny. No, I was, like, a... I was a little sad about it because <laughs> I like the tiger. But like there's the... a new one. Yeah. No, it's just, it's cool to think that we can just sort of swap out and work with other zoos. Yeah. But... I mean, what must go into that transportation? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I, I have to imagine it can't have been great back then. <laughs> no. Um, Not fun for anyone. No. So the first priority with this expansion was to be building new bear pa- compounds to replace, finally, the bear pits. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's please not have bears in pits anymore. It's such a long time to have a bear pit. That's so yeah. sad. Um, unfortunately, in 1954, a bylaw which would have provided money for zoo improvements was defeated. So the so, bears stay in the pit? Well, no. They do build the new... Okay. They do make that happen, but the rest of the master plan is kind okay. of put off. Um, so 1956, a new bear range is completed, and it's actually okay. the largest in North America. Wow. Yeah. I, do you remember the old bear range? No, I feel like... When did so, they change it? They were... The ones that they built in 1956 were the same ones they had when I was a kid. Okay. I might just not remember it. I mostly okay. remember it going um, to the bat cave and being scared. Aw. <laughs> I was not as scared. My best friend at the time had to be carried out by my mom. In a fit of hysterics once. <laughs> um, okay, we'll talk about the... That's in the Kinsman Discovery Center. Yeah. Um, which hasn't been built yet at this point. But my boyfriend did refuse to go into the Kinsman Discovery Center <laughs> because he thought that there were snakes in there and he didn't want to see snakes. <laughs> <laughs> I walked through it once and was like... And confirmed that there weren't any snakes. Is he scared of snakes? He's scared... He won't admit that he's scared of snakes. He just says he doesn't like snakes. I'm like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but he won't look at them. No. Hey, Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes, and he's a badass. Exactly. So. I'll have to tell him. I've been trying to pump up your boyfriend to be yeah. brave enough to go look at a snake at the zoo. <laughs> he also will not go to Narciss with me. Very upsetting. Anyway. Um, in any case, yeah. So those were the same yeah. um, same bear ranges they had when I was a kid. Um I don't know if you'll remember, they were like, when you walked in the front entrance, it was like when you went to the right, that was where the bears were. Oh, yeah, yeah. At the old entrance then, yeah. Yes, at the old entrance. Um, And in 1958, this is really when things change and get better. They hire a zoo director from Germany, this guy by the name of Dr. Gunter Voss. Okay. Um, And this is kind of the beginning of the era of, like, natural habitats for animals. And Voss is very on that trend. Okay. He just seems like the kind of, like, sweetest, like, soft-spoken German yeah. guy. He just loves the animals so much. He really loves doing, like, um, educational stuff. He's, like, bringing kids to there to the zoo all the time. Um, he said, We want to avoid the shame of the naked cage where the animals develop stereotype motions and depression. Oh. So he didn't want just, like, tigers yeah. pacing back and forth ten feet, right? Um, he also had ideas for a tropical birdhouse and elephants. The elephants didn't happen, but the tropical birdhouse did. 
and yeah, did a ton of public stuff focused on education and also changing public perception of and behavior in zoos. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so one big issue at this point is because the zoos have just been popular entertainment for so long, people don't necessarily treat the animals with a ton of respect. Um, So, for instance, one thing he complained about was that a woman had at one point thrown a ball into the lion pit, which the lion then, like, popped and had stuck on its fang, and someone had to go and, like, take the ball away. Like, it was just stuff like that where people were, like, throwing things into cages. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, maybe the and animals like, don't need your toys. And like feeding the animals yeah. random stuff, right? So he does a lot of this like public facing, public education stuff, starts doing press conferences to keep the public oh, up wow. to date. And there's actually a much bigger presence of the zoo in the paper after this. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and he becomes a kind of like Winnipeg figure, I feel like, who's like often yeah. himself in the papers. Um and he also hoped that once the zoo was, like, rebuilt and looked nicer, that maybe the public would behave better. Which I feel like is very, very German to be like. This place looks respectable, and yes. therefore you'll stop throwing things at the lions. Yeah. So there's new aviaries built for the, all the birds. They also began planning a children's zoo. Do oh. you know about Aunt Sally's farm? Yeah. Well, they just, like, re-added it, didn't they? They yeah. just rebuilt Aunt Fal- Sally's farm, yeah. And it was named after Sally Warnock. Do you know about her? No, I do not. She was the first secretary of the Winnipeg Humane Society. So oh. she was one of its founding members um, and became its secretary in 1920. She continued in this role for the next 38 years. Wow. Until she died in her office. Um, so she worked hard. Yes. According to the MHS, she was probably in her 80s at the time, but we don't know for sure because she had refused to give her age lest she forced to be she be forced to retire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So she was apparently known as the humane lady. Oh. They're like, just like really sweet yeah. articles about her. Um, from a 1923 article, they say that she is a familiar sight on the streets of Winnipeg, either at the wheel of the Humane Society ambulance or afoot with a strange dog at her heels, a frightened kitten in her coat pocket or a wounded puppy in her arms. Oh. For a long time, her house was basically the Humane Society. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, she was basically like the one woman Humane Society, I think, for quite a while. There's this really cute article in which the wealthy person is interviewing her. A little boy, like, a little, like, ragamuffin with, like, tousled hair comes in. And he's like, ma'am, I want a dog. (laughs) And she asks him what kind of dog. And he says, a plain dog, please. And so she, like, (laughs) writes down his name and address and says that she'll get him a dog. And it's just, like, really cute. Um, Oh, those fancy dogs. Yeah. Yes, she says, well, there. If my first stray in the morning is not an aristocrat, he'll have a home. (laughs) Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we named Aunt Sally's farm after her, and she actually, so, it was decided that it would be named after her as it was being planned, but she, um, also passes away in 1958 as it's being constructed, so I think it's especially significant that it's named after her when it opens the next year, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a petting zoo of sorts, Mm -hmm. um, but it used animals from, like, local farms yeah. um, who would be returned at the end of the season. It ran, oh. I think, from, like, around May to September-ish. They also sometimes had, like, orphaned animals, like baby yeah. raccoons, um, deer fawns, and sometimes even bear cubs, apparently. Oh, wow. Which I don't think they do now. Um, but the idea was that, like, the animals could be within reach if they felt like it, or they had spaces where they yeah. could, like, back away and yeah. be by themselves. Which was, like, Gunter Voss's whole thing. That yeah. He thought the animals had sort of, like, a right to 
their privacy almost, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. that, you know, that raccoon wants some alone time now. Leave him be. Yeah, so it also had a pony ride. Um, yeah, I should note that the current Aunt Sally's farm, not a petting zoo. Yeah. And if you, if you try to pet the goats, someone will yell at you. <laughs> <laughs> Is this from experience? <laughs> this may be from experience. <laughs> They didn't. They didn't have signs, so I'm like, I don't know. The goat was within reach. It looked like it wanted to be pet. I've met a lot of goats that enjoy pets. I feel like it enjoyed the pet. But fair but enough. Don't touch the animals enough, at the you zoo. Can't, you can't pet the animals. Oh, it's well. a good zoo rule overall. Yeah. I think. I mean, probably I should have, as a grown adult who's been to the zoo before, should have known <laughs> like, that. Wait a minute. They don't let me touch these normally. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. 1959. Um. It is also officially named the Assiniboine Park Zoo. Oh, wow. So yeah. Was it just the city zoo before that? Basically. Or, or had like a the number zoo? of... Yeah, just had a number of different names, which again, made research impossible because if you just search <laughs> zoo, all kinds of things come up. Um, a new bandstand is built for the Royal Visit also around this time. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually... I feel like the Royal Visit was good for us because we're like, maybe we should make some things a little nicer. <laughs> Clean the place up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Clean it up for the queen. Brush the cobwebs yeah. off of some things. Um, the Siberian tiger enclosure is built in 1960. In 1961, another big change that happens. And I'd say, like, Gunter Voss being hired is number one. That yeah. is a big change for the better. And this is number two. Is that jurisdiction for the zoo is transferred to the Metropolitan Corporation of, Gre of Greater Winnipeg. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, this is pre-Unicity. Yeah. Yes. So... Um, their take on it was that parks should be designed to be maintained effectively at a minimum cost and that they should make the fullest use of natural aspects rather than require expensive grading and landscaping operations. So that kind of sounds like things are going to be downgraded, but actually yeah. maybe that means that money is being preserved on landscaping and instead redirected to the zoo. Yeah. It seems to be because things do seem to go better from that point. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, efforts are made to um, acquire more property as they had a bunch of new animals. There were polar bears and monkeys and snow leopards that needed space. Mm -hmm. um, they also decided to build a perimeter fence and to keep vehicles out of the zoo. So previously uh, to this... people could Did people drive into the zoo? Yes. What? You could drive into the zoo. You could also... There wasn't a fence and yeah. there was no admission. So you could just enter the zoo from wherever. In your car. In your car. In your big old 1940s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, which actually is funny because, like, if you think about the size of the pathways in the zoo, they are car size. They fit golf carts. Yep. Um, it's, it's very scary to think about an old car gunning it down. Uh, yeah, the maybe not the great. Zoo. Accidentally running into the tiger enclosure or whatever. The tigers get loose. Yeah. It's zoo tycoon all over again. <laughs> uh, fun fact, my computer's too slow to run zoo tycoon. <laughs> Your computer makes me sad. <laughs> me too. I haven't used it in like a month because I'm scared that it won't start. Well, now it's definitely not going yeah. to. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so they build a new perimeter fence. Very yeah. fancy. Look at us with a fence. Um, there's another new five-year plan um, with new accommodations for some animals, a new refreshment building. Unfortunately, it burns down right away. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But they replace it with the Carousel Coffee Shop in 1968. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you remember that one? A little bit, yeah. Um, it was still around. I feel like it looked quite different by the time yeah. it was, like, functioning when I was a kid. 
Um, in the 60s, the mammal house is also constructed, which I believe was, must be the, what was the monkey house when I yeah. thought, I think was that structure. The bear enclosure is modernized. Um, and also Dennis and Debbie, who are two orphaned uh, polar bear cubs, arrive. And Debbie, some listeners might remember, because she only died in 2008. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that is a one long-lived bear. Yeah. So apparently we're doing okay by our animals at this point. Good job for Debbie also. It's yeah. old for a bear. Um, they began building the prairie dog range as well. <gasps> yeah, I love the prairie yeah, dog range. so fun. Um, and <laughs> I really love this quote. For the first time in the history of the zoo, these construction projects were followed up by well-planned, extensive landscape projects. <laughs> just love, just love the, that <laughs> it's a historian's way of saying, we actually planned something? We did it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, they put traffic and directional signs in the parks as lo- along with maps. Like, we're... we're <laughs> It's really funny. Like I'm reading this, and I'm like, we didn't. So there weren't maps. Before? We didn't have. We didn't have signs before. God, that would be so confusing so it to try. Like, yes, it sounds like until then things were just totally cobbled together. Like the zoo was like fairly like winding, and that like there's kind and, of a main loop and then off loops. And like the park itself had no maps or directional and signs. no fence. Yes, so you could just get lost. I guess you just wander into the zoo and you'd be in the zoo. <laughs> I don't know. And then maybe a few days later, you somehow make it out of the zoo. You emerge of the forest. And I don't know how we stop people from, like, being at the zoo in the middle of the night. I guess you couldn't have. Because, like, it had opening hours. Oh. Yeah, like, it was open, I think, usually just until, like, until dark. Was there just, like, a guy who sat there to yell at people to get out of the zoo? (laughs) Probably, eh? (laughs) I'd love an oral history from that guy. Um, yeah, also, I, the zoo mortality rate dropped a ton, which is nice. Oh, wow. I, I've specifically, I haven't said this, but I've specifically not talked about dead animals just because I, I cannot. Yeah, we talked about this before we recorded, too, that you yeah, weren't going like, to do I that. Yeah, I was not going to do that, but... Um, do you know what the mortality rate was before? Yeah, so in 1960, it was 12%. Okay. Which is not great. Yeah. Um, and in 1965, it was less than 4%. That's a huge yes. drop in so, just a couple of years. Yeah, so I I think we mostly have Gunter Voss to thank yeah. for that, which is nice. And also, you know, these nice new enclosures. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a new landscaping program also in the 60s to create this more, like, naturalistic environment for yeah. all the animals. Um, winter is still an issue because, yeah. like I said, in the winter, they're often still just kind of going into these cramped yeah. little quarters. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a really cute story here from the 60s where apparently there was a um, one-year-old, seven-foot, 400-pound bear that um, made his city debut early Saturday morning near the Pemita Drive-In Theater. So there was this bear just, like, wandering around the city for a while. And there's a really funny thing where they ask the zoo director, Gunter Voss, if this is one of his bears. And he's like, this is not one of my bears. <laughs> So I don't know where the bear came from. Do you know where it went? Um, <laughs> no. Um, it says here, police called Dr. Voss Saturday to ask how to deal with the bear. And I had a tough time convincing them he was harmless. I, I don't know that a bear in the city is harmless, but. No, I mean, like, theoretically, bears are more scared of us. Yeah, so Generally, it says, but um, it's just this really sweet instance of him trying to educate the public on bears. He's like, like please he says, don't panic. Autumn is the season mother bears refuse to continue nursing their young and force them to go it alone. Um, this young bear may have come in from the Sandlands area following the Sen River into the city. 
So basically, he just thought he wandered into the city. Probably looking for food. Yeah. Bears have, like, an incredible sense of smell, so they could suss out. There's a lot of good garbage in Winnipeg. Uh, yeah. And this article is called, Hello There Again, Yogi. So I think this, <laughs> this bear had made several appearances. <laughs> appearances in the city. Man, I know, like, bears popping up in town in Winnipeg was a problem in, like, the 1880s. That happens sometimes. Yeah, I forgot. There's this other great quote. Fort Carey police confirmed that the game of hide-and-seek is on again today. In quotes, at least I hope it's the same bear. (laughs) (laughs) In any case, the bears were not escaping from the zoo. This was a different bear. This was an unrelated bear. (laughs) Coming into town for a bit of a visit. Yeah. Um... We also began building a new conservatory um, over top of the old one to preserve the plants, yeah. which is kind of cool. Um, which I assume is the one that we had until quite recently. Yeah, the like nice little brick one kind of off of the yeah. main drive-in. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we will have a new one one day. <laughs> yeah, it looks cool. I'm excited to see it when it's finished. Yeah, me too. Um, they also began planning for a Fauna Subtropica exhibit, which evolved into the construction of the Tropical House. Oh, I like the Tropical House. Yes, me too. It's always nice in the winter, eh? Yeah, which was an enclosed and climate-controlled space. So, yeah, it's nice and humid in there. Yeah, and again, great for humans in the winter, but also for animals, that they yeah. didn't have to be moving, right? They've got yeah. an outdoor space they can go to, but they've also got this indoor space. It's almost a little bit too like the Biodome in Montreal, hey? Yeah, it's like our little own Biodome. The Biodome is much fancier. Yes, it is. But I think, like, the tropical house was, like, Gunter Voss's plan for the rest of the zoo. Like, yeah. he wanted it all to be this kind of thing where, like, animals are, like, to some extent coexisting, right? There's all yeah. kinds of different birds and stuff in there just yeah. hanging out. And also with plants that would be from places where they're yeah. from. I mean, like, from a learning perspective, too, it makes more sense to try and match the animal's habitat to the one they're from. Totally. If you're trying to educate as opposed to, like, yeah, tigers live in cages. Yeah, like, what, how does, they behave in a what cage. does a hippo mean in a concrete cage? Nothing, yeah. right? <laughs> We're getting real existentialist all of a sudden. <laughs> hey. What is a hippo without its environment? <laughs> now I'm thinking about a 65-year-old hippo living in a concrete cage. <laughs> Alex, get out of it. Step out of okay, it. Okay, okay. <laughs> spiraling uh, <laughs> um unfortunately for winnipeg in 1970 uh gunter voss leaves for toronto to okay. build their metro zoo oh okay yeah. yeah so that's when they get their zoo that they have today so gunter voss is just going around changing canadian zoos for the better <laughs> except it's super sucks for him he's fired a few years later from the toronto oh, no. zoo it's this whole this is why i was trying to get access to the toronto star oh this yeah is, i was wondering what you were trying it's to research not, no it's not important to our story today i just like he's such a sweet man i felt bad for him yeah um it's this really weird thing where like i think he was forced to open the zoo before it was really ready oh. and then they had like issues with attendance and like a, a couple of animals escaping it's unclear oh wow i really wanted to read more about that yeah. and couldn't <laughs> Because mm. I didn't have the sources, but, um, yeah, and so he he ends up being fired, and it's oh. this whole like dramatic thing, and like some people are like very much on his side. I think he gets like voted onto the zoo board because he has this like right because he has this like host of supporters who are like he shouldn't have been fired. Wow, what a power move to get fired from your job as director yes. and turn up on the board. Yeah, well, it's this whole thing where like the members of like the zoological yeah. society were like. They didn't give us reasons why he was fired. Yeah. So they vote him onto the board. It's, yeah. Wow. That sounds like an incredible story that we can't learn that about. Was, no. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple of headlines and a couple of, like, Winnipeg local stories about it, but could not read the in-depth things, unfortunately. Because the U of T took away 
my access to their archives. Because you don't go there anymore. Immediately. <laughs> poor, poor Gunter Voss. But he did really great work here. Yeah, I mean, and, like, it he... seems like he kind of made the zoo what it is. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, like, what they said there, too, was, like, um, he didn't have, like, the administration skills and the skills to, like, lead people. That he was more of, like, an animal guy. Which, but, I don't know. Which is interesting, because he was leading the public relations campaign here, totally. which would suggest that he has some he has capacity people skills, with people. For sure. Yeah. But, like, it does sound, like, from all his quotes, that he was just, like, a big animal guy and And i guess when you're going up against like a city bureaucracy that wants the zoo to open that might be really tough to manage yeah so i don't know it's this whole thing but yeah so i think we have him to thank for the amazing zoo zoo that we do have now um and there's kind of not a ton that happens in the 70s i think you know gunter voss is gone and the zoo's doing better the zoo's doing a lot better um 1980 there's another new master plan seeking 28 million dollars to expand um, they wanted to expand into the western part of the zoo, which was undeveloped at okay. the time. Um, this is kind of where, like, um, like the tigers and, oh, yeah. like, the camels and stuff yeah. are, that area. Um, I found a guidebook from the 1980s that promised that the future zoo would have elephants, giraffes, rhinos, hippos, gorillas, chimpanzees, sea lions, penguins, and possibly beluga whales. Huh. <sighs> Eternal optimism, eh? Yeah. We're going to keep trying. They also said that the landscaped environments will be connected by heated passageways for the comfort of visitors during the harsh winter months. <laughs> and I want this imagined zoo so bad. <laughs> but um, sadly not. We've got a couple not. indoor spaces to pop into. Yes, we do. I really, yeah, I love the journey into Churchill yeah. where you can go and like, you go inside and you can see the polar bear butts. They swim around you. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I like that. We've got the tropical house, but we never did get those heated passageways. I don't know. I guess it's good to go outside sometimes. (laughs) That might be the most you thing you've ever said. Like, I guess I'll have to face the reality of the outdoors eventually. Look, I I pay rent (laughs) so that I can have a place to be indoors. (laughs) Alex. And I have a Zoom membership to go outside sometimes. I'm fine. I take, <laughs> I take vitamin D supplements. This is the saddest thing you've ever said on air. <laughs> However, people do begin to suspect that, hey, if we're going to spend $28 million expanding, we think that they might start charging admission. <laughs> <laughs> There's this funny thing, too, where Gunter Voss had established a single gate that people would go in and out through. Yeah. And people, when he did that, were like, you better not charge admission. And he was like, no, 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 it's just to count. Just to count, people. <laughs> but like Like, we're always kind of on edge like is this gonna stop being free yeah is this gonna stop being free (laughs) and it does it stops being free but i mean probably it does need to make some money i guess no i mean it's better for the animals i mean they can afford to care for the animals in an ideal world i will put this out there all museums and zoos should be free yes but in the world we live in now yes we have to pay for our zoos unfortunately um, yeah, they begin construction of the Kinsman Discovery Center, which replaced Aunt Sally's farm, yeah. and which Alex's boyfriend will not go into. <laughs> which is the one that has the uh, eggshells that you can climb yeah. into. That's Kinsman, right? Yes. 
Yeah, there was a room in the Kinsman Discovery Center. I don't think the eggshells are there anymore. They're in, like, the entrance now. Oh, They yeah. are still there. I think I'm too big for them yeah. now, Yeah, there was, like, a bird room where you could go climb into an eggshell, yeah. pretend you were hatching, and it was a fun photo op for children. Yes. Yeah, oh, I think yeah. I've... Yeah. Yes. I remember that. I think I have many photos over the year with me and my sisters in those eggshells. If we ever go together, I'm going to make you try and sit in one. <laughs> I might still be able to fit. We'd have to see. Oh, no, I'd probably get in, and then it'd be like a... And then you get stuck in a zoo employee has to come in. It'd be like that Winnie the Pooh story where he gets stuck, he eats too much honey, Why and he gets crawling into the egghead first. <laughs> <laughs> how how are you getting into the egg, Sabrina? I don't are you not tall enough to step into it? <laughs> um, speaking of which, in 1992, the Winnie the Pooh statue was unveiled. <laughs> nice transition. Thank you. Hey, you forgot about the pandas. Oh, tell us about the pandas. Okay, so I was in kindergarten. How old are you when you're in kindergarten? Like five? Yeah. Okay, so when I was five, so that would have been 88. So. Oh, I didn't exist yet. These pandas came and it was the biggest deal in the world. And there was this giant marketing push. Like you go to a flea market now and you'll still see like t-shirts and and jackets and posters (laughs) about the Winnipeg pandas. Like I have a button somewhere in my collection about the Winnipeg pandas. I remember very clearly like kindergarten group. We all like carpooled me and <laughs> me and this kid Tyler Erickson that I went to kindergarten with, who is I have no idea who this person is. I just remember me and Tyler Erickson went in my mom's car to see the pandas, and there was a giant panda cage, and it was just like wall to wall people staring at these <laughs> two three pandas, and it was a massive event in 1988. Wow. In yeah, it's funny. I also did not yet exist in 1988, but remember in my childhood hearing about yeah. the pandas, like it was it was a big deal. <laughs> Yeah, pandas. Um, and I remember the kid who I went to see the pandas with more than seeing the pandas. So, there you go. I would have been very excited to see pandas as a kid. They have, like, red pandas there now. Yes. And yeah. they're so cute. They're very cute. But no, no big, no big pandas. I mean, yeah. they're all kind of weird, like, panda breeding problems, right? So, yeah. 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 I can see them being a hard animal to acquire and maybe not suited for Manitoba. Uh, yeah. Probably they would need their own special enclosure. But a very exciting visit, apparently. Yes. Yeah. I guess it was just, like, a limited time thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. I remember once when I was a kid, um, they brought an elephant in. I think that may have happened Whoa. a couple of times, but oh, that's exciting! It was super exciting. Um, I got to like feed it a little piece of fruit. It was super. <gasps> oh, that's fun. so fun! And my my, I remember my sister dislocated her arm the same day, <laughs> so we had to like leave the zoo and get our arm put back in. <laughs> um. It wasn't as scary as it sounds because she did that a lot. As yeah, a kid. I was gonna say it wasn't just like a known thing where yes. her shoulder would just dislocate all the time. Yeah, eventually my parents just figured out how to do it themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, we get the pandas. So yeah, we're like a big deal. Um, yeah. <laughs> basically, we're a big deal. deal. We've got a panda. Sometimes we have to send it back, but. <laughs> um. In the 90s, um, they also renovate that northwest part of the zoo with the camels yeah. and the yaks and stuff. Um, there's also, do you remember there used to be that camel playground? And it was so hot in the summers that it hurt <laughs> to slide down. Yes. Okay. Because it was plastic. To, yes. Oh, it was painful. Um, it's not, the camel playground isn't there anymore. The camels no. still are. But um, I used to ride my bike to work at the Manitoba Museum and I'd ride past this kind of like random like dump ground and it had one of the camels there why did like you one not of the camel slides it? i was too big how am i gonna take a whole camel slide ask anyone you know with a car <laughs> this is on you it might still be there i don't know 
We'll have to we'll have to drive by and see if yeah. we can find a camel. I remember it being painful to go down. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty small little park, but yeah. pretty fun. I was just stopped to play there when I was little. Yeah. Um, um can I tell you my favorite zoo memory because it's related to this yeah, playground? Yeah, please do. We're, I was, in, we're in prime, like, us nostalgia yeah. years now. I was an adult when I went. It was on a date. And I was there with my boyfriend at the time. And we were just looking at the camels and stuff. But they used to have those rocking horses that you could go back and forth on. Oh, yeah. And there was a kid that was going so hard and so <laughs> fast on this horse that he flung himself <laughs> off at such a distance <laughs> that, like, I lost it. I was laughing so hard. And the kid was crying oh, no. because obviously he just blew himself off of a horse. That's really scary. Which is, like, the image of this kid <laughs> shooting through the air was really funny to me. And I had to leave the area. I was laughing too hard. And I was like, I'm going to embarrass this kid. No, you can't be visibly laughing at the kid. But he was going oh, my so God. fast. Oh, that's awful. Um, it was pretty funny, though. Yeah. Uh, 1996 Boo at the Zoo starts, which they yeah. just resumed, like, recently. I went. I, I was going to wear my Boo at the Zoo shirt today. Oh, fun. It was in the laundry. Was it your first Boo at the Zoo, or had you been as a kid? I went, I think, like, the second to last year they did it. Um, I used to go all the time. Famously, am very frightened of the song Spooky Scary Skeletons. <laughs> and they always played it at the gate, so I'd have to try and walk really fast away from the gate. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> We had a Halloween party once and we were going to put the song I on and you wouldn't let us. I don't like the song. <laughs> we were adults. I don't like it. You're afraid of a song? I just don't like the idea of the spooky, scary skeletons coming to my house. <laughs> I mean, is, I think... it all, is it all the big skeletons or just the ones from the song? Spooky, scary no, skeletons? No, just the, from the song. I think... Now, as an adult, it's more of a reaction to the fear I had as a child. <laughs> like, it's just like, you know, if you, like, watched Jaws as a kid and you were really scared, and now you're, like, scared of sharks, right? Like... Yeah. yeah, but this is, like, the worst possible version of that. Um, but, yeah, they did boo at the zoo, so that's good. <laughs> it's a Halloween oh, event also... at the zoo if you're not from Winnipeg. I to... Okay, I'm just, like, famously very scared of many things. Yes. Um, and did one year also go there dressed as a witch and they used to send, um, like a, like free press dressed up as like, or, like a mascot, like dressed yeah. up as the free press. Yeah. And they'd also have like people in costumes. And I think one year I hit the free press guy with my broom. I can't remember what he was doing. Was this year you went as an urban witch? Uh, I think it may have been. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. That was the year that my parents had to convince me to wear a witch hat because I wasn't actually really in a costume. Just in black clothes. <laughs> it was a modern witch. That's what it was. Alex's so you... goth face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I hit some poor volunteer or newspaper employee with my broom. Oh, no. Um, yeah, in 2001, they built an interpretive center and began doing um, zoo day camps. Oh, fun. I actually went to one of those as well. I never did, but they seemed very cool. Yeah, I remember we had this um, this zoo counselor who he was, like, missing a couple of fingers, and he told us that a squirrel bit them off. And <laughs> Did you all believe it? Yes. Yeah. And as an adult, I'm like, that SOB, I don't think a squirrel really <laughs> bit his fingers off. <laughs> I think I was lied to. <laughs> um, But, yeah, more recently... um. The Assiniboine Park Conservancy was created to manage the park and the zoo. 
um, a $200 million redevelopment was unveiled. And of course, we all who live here know that it spent a bunch of time under construction mm -hmm. and reopened. Um, Journey to Churchill was created. And yeah, we've got this kind of um, pretty remarkable yep. zoo now. Um, I just have one last story. Um, which is the last thing in my notes, which is that apparently in 2014, I guess this is shortly after Journey to Churchill yeah. was created, um, apparently the wolves and polar bears had to be taken out of their display areas, te areas temporarily because the wolves had managed to dig their way into the polar oh, bear enclosure. I remember this happening, yeah. Do you? Yeah. I don't remember when it originally happened, but I'm like, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I remember it was kind of like, oh, how'd they do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't want You don't want wolves or bears where they're not supposed to be. No, neither one of those would be fun to see. And you especially don't want wolves and bears where they're <laughs> not supposed to be. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the history of our zoo. That's very fun. It was a nice episode. Thank you. I was worried it didn't have enough insane people. I mean, yeah, we've really set a precedent where it's like, well, here's Winnipeg's weirdest person. Yeah. <laughs> if there are no ginger snooks in this episode, then I don't want it. There's no weird tax evading con man. No. <laughs> It's just, just one guy who let his employees drink on the job and a nice yeah. German man. And a woman afraid of skeleton songs. <laughs> <laughs> She's always here. Can't get rid of her. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, the zoo today is so fun. I like going. Yeah, it is. I'm going to have to go after this. We were going to go, I think, before we recorded the episode and I just couldn't find the time. And it's been so cold the past couple of weeks. It's, yeah, I've barely left my house. So. Well, apparently you barely leave your house at all. So... <laughs> I do actually go for walks sometimes. <laughs> I went but to yeah. the Zoo Lights with my niece oh, a few weeks I actually, ago. Oh, I also went to the Zoo Lights, actually. I'd forgotten. Yeah, she was kind of bummed there was no animals out, but yeah. she was oh, excited yeah. that there was animals made out of lights. Yes. Oh, yeah. So she's like, Uncle Nick, the beaver. And Uncle, like, all this, it was very cute. But she had kind of had enough after 15 minutes. Yeah, it's not really a fun event for like really little, easily distractible children all the time. Yeah. I really liked it when I went. I went last year, not this year, but it's very cool. I'd never been yeah. before. It was it was really beautiful. I can see what all the fuss is about. Yeah, yeah, it's such a nice little thing to go explore. Boo at the zoo this year was also really fun. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, and Zoo Lights was really nice as well. I don't know. I feel like the zoo is killing it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm having a great time. Every time I go there, it's so yeah, fun. Keep up the good work. There's and... one seal who's always willing to like do tricks for people. Uh, His name is Emilio. There's a sign you saying. Know the seal's name. Well, because oh there's God. a sign saying, like, there's a list of the seal's names. Yeah. And one is Emilio. He's the ham. Aww. Because he's the one that, like, if you swirl <laughs> yeah. a hat by the glass, he'll do flips or, like, rub his stomach against the glass. Yes. Oh my god, the seals are so much fun. So if you polarbears. go if you go to the zoo and see a seal and he's doing tricks, that's probably Emilio. Yes, and actually, you know what? It's super fun to go to the zoo if you can like bundle up and go in the winter. Because different animals are out. Different animals are out, and the polar bears especially are yeah. having so much fun in the winter. I went one time at probably like like in the morning when it was maybe like 10 below or something, and it was like perfect. So yeah. it was like not so cold that I wasn't having fun, <laughs> but like the polar bears were having fun. And that's what matters. Yes. <laughs> That's probably a good place to end. Yeah, I think so. Well, thanks for listening. Do you want to tell people where they can find us? I want to see you try. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> uh, didn't write this in your notes, did I, you? I didn't write it in my notes. Um, we're on Facebook at One Great History, and um, <laughs> our website is onegreathistory.wordpress.com. These are in no order. We're also on Instagram at One Great History, and on Twitter at the number One Great History. Hey! That was all of them in a weird order. But... You got it done. And, and we also have a Patreon, um, which is very important because it gives us money. <laughs> because we need to buy books now to do research, which is outrageous. Yeah. 
And we you need get to bonus episodes. You, you do get if bonus episodes. Subscribe to One Great History. January's on bonus episode is about uh, Clark Gable coming to Winnipeg on a hunting trip and a mysterious paternity scandal. Ooh. Alex and Nick don't know about this yet because we're about to record it. So okay. I'm building suspense yeah. live <laughs> for you guys. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you.